Alright, so we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and the section that we were attempting to to cover was verses 10 through 20. Uh, Tonight we will pick up in verse 14 and an attempt to do the rest. We will not attempt. We will. Do or do not. There is no try, right? We will do the rest of the chapter um, so that we can begin Philippians come Sunday. Um, I would like us to read this section again um, as we as we get back into it. Do I have a volunteer to read uh, 10 through 20, please? Sarah's quick to volunteer. You guys going to fight it out, David? Whoever. Arm wrestle for it. David, would you read for us? Is that a rest, Sarah? Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavens, heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod the feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked ones, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may be open, uh, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. But in it I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. But that you may, all, you also may, know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace in the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all. With the, or excuse me. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sin- sincerity. Amen. All right, thank you. Um, I did want to jump back to this particular question um, and just make a couple more points um, before we we jump back into the armor specifically. Um, we had talked about other ways that Satan had been described, not only here in Ephesians but throughout Scripture. And, and I wanted us to understand, we spent a good deal of time talking about his power and his authority, uh, and the fact that he has others who are working with him. Um, you, you call them demons, you call them fallen angels, um, here they are called spiritual forces of evil, uh, cosmic powers, they're called authorities. But what I want us to remember, is that as impressive and daunting and terrifying as that seems, God and Satan are not on equal planes. They are not equal in authority or power. Um, I I believe that this was brought up uh, a little bit last time, but I just want us to to reiterate it. You consider the, the story of Job, where Satan comes 
and they have this conversation, Satan and God, about this servant Job, Satan has to have permission from God before he can do what what he desires to do to Job. And God is able to give him commands, uh, don't kill him, and Satan must do what, what he's told. And so um, the authority of God is obviously over Satan. Um, even in even when Satan's demons interact with the Son of God, you consider the story of the man who had legion um, there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They make requests of Jesus. Uh, Please don't cast us off into the abyss. Uh, They request, can you instead throw us into this herd of swine? They are making requests of the one who has more authority than they do. And so uh, I want us, and, and Paul wants us to take this enemy seriously, but not to elevate him so high that we think that he's... Um, that he's equal to God, far from it. And finally, uh, something we just need to constantly remember is that uh, we're told how this all ends. We're, we're told what will be the result of Satan's schemings and deception is that he loses. Um, God, God conquers over him. And so um, he's not a foe to be, um, to be underestimated. But he's not one ultimately to be feared if we make sure that that we are um, in allegiance with with Christ. Any thoughts about that before we jump into the army, uh, into the armor? Cool. So we had discussed the belt of truth in verse 14, how it was not just truth in general. Um, but it was God's truth. And that's the thing that we were supposed to gird our loins with. That was the thing that we were supposed to, that we are supposed to put on in order to carry the rest of the tools and the sword and the other things that we need. Uh, Roman soldiers would wear their belts and, and with that they would carry the things that they needed in, in battle. Um, I will commonly kind of reference the imagery of, of Roman soldiers. I don't know for sure if that's what Paul had in mind, but it seemed likely that uh, when they discussed, especially discussing with Gentile, primarily Gentile Christians, um, imagery that they would have been familiar with would have been Roman soldiers. Were there any other comments about, yeah, the belt of truth? I was say, and Paul would have, by this time, become quite familiar with what a Roman soldier looks yes, like, would. considering that he's in Roman custody. Yes. Um, yes. The good and the bad. Very familiar. That, so. Right. So let's talk about the breastplate of righteousness. Um, what does he mean by this? What comes to mind when we think of this particular piece of armor? What was important about a breastplate, David? Yeah protects some pretty vital organs. Yes. The majority of your vital organs, right? All there. And you don't want to go into battle where one swipe of the sword and and you get yourself cut open or one arrow in, you know, in a strategic place. And so you're protecting those vital things with what? Righteousness. Okay, so someone said Right right living. Are there other translations or, or other 
I guess they all say righteousness, but other thoughts or ways that you might define that? The right relationship with God okay. uh, is also the way the word's used. Yes. And and I've, I've read some commentaries that take one of those two, right? They, they talk about that breastplate of right living. We need to live the way that we ought, and by living the way that we ought, that will protect us and protect our, our spiritual vital organs. But then, Boyd, you brought up the idea of um, right standing. It is, it is a, a proper standing between us and God, right? That we can stand before God and be considered righteous. Is that done through our own good living? No. I'm inclined to, to see this word being used in that second way. That the breastplate that we protect ourselves with is not our own good deeds. Because I don't know about you, my breastplate would have giant gaps and holes in it. But instead, we are protected with what Christ has done for us to provide a right standing before God. Um, in Second Corinthians chapter 5... In verse 21, it says that he made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so the righteousness that we can now claim is not ours, because we're living exactly the way that we ought, but the righteousness that protects us is what Jesus has done, that sinless man, who did that on our behalf so that we can be considered righteous. And so this should prevent us from developing any attitudes of self-righteousness or developing an attitude of discouragement when we don't live up to the sinless one. And we get discouraged when we think, well, I'll never be righteous enough to fully get that breastplate on to protect ourselves from Satan's blows, thankfully, praise God, that it's it's his righteousness that protects us from that. What kind of thoughts or, or questions do you all have on that, Bob? I think what the, the idea of right living in this right relationship speaks to a man's character, and the Greek seems to speak to that also regarding this word, if you're reading this right. The, the idea that it's not just something you do, and it's not just something you think. It's yes. It, it, it is a, a character or a nature of your existence, this righteousness. Correct, yeah. So don't misunderstand me that it doesn't matter how we live and I can live however we want. My righteousness will never be good enough. No, you are you are absolutely right. And the book of Ephesians is that, right? We first start with a proper understanding of what Christ has done for us to cleanse us and, and adopt us and, and anoint us. Um, and because we understand that, we therefore walk worthy of the calling and we do our best to live uh, righteously. Um, in fact, back in chapter 3 and in verse 12, it says that because of what Christ has done for us, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So it is this, this idea that, that we can now enter the, the throne room of God 
and not be our filthy, sinful selves, um, unholy selves, but because of what Christ has done for us, we can now stand and be considered righteous. Did I see a hand? Leanne? Or you're just thinking? Just thinking. Okay. David? And that was something under the old law they could never do. Only the high priest could enter into the most holy place once a year mm-hmm. after offering a sacrifice for his sins. And so we have access that the Jews, the Israelites, didn't have. Yeah. And that's a special blessing, too. Yeah, and you think of the idea, we're, we're wearing a breastplate to protect us, which implies that attacks will come where Satan is going to try to get us to second guess whether we are good enough, right? He will make us question our own goodness and right standing. And the fact is, without Jesus, we are not good enough. So don't don't let him deceive you and bring you down and and make you think you'll never be good enough. Oh, you messed up again, and that's going to, you know, that's going to doom you to eternity. No, we're, we're not relying solely on that. We're relying on the grace and the mercy of God to cover our sin and our mistakes when we do. Yeah, Rainer. This, this reminds me of a uniform and uh, if you've ever been in any sort of military or even the health person, you're, you're passed out the uniform and it is the same for, for everyone. So the, the application for me is that this would be a spiritual armor. So this would be something that comes from God, and then I could see where the, the right living would come, maybe as a result of this. Maybe the change happens with um, the uniform of the breastplate first, and then the living, uh, the, the righteous living follows after that. Because if you're trying to get this stuff out of your life without this, then it's like a stairway to heaven, which will crumble. Right, right. Yeah, so it needs to go it needs to go hand in hand. So we wear that to to protect those spiritual vital organs. Verse 15 mentions as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace is how the ESV translates that. Some say feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What what's he talking about here? What does this mean? Well, you put on your shoes when you're ready to go somewhere. Um, so, I mean, just that idea of you're ready to... It's just another step that you take to be ready to act, to be ready to go somewhere, to protect your feet. Yeah. Um, and what kind of sandals these are? I'll let somebody else answer because that'll be easier for me. I mean, I read something on the Internet. I'd be happy to share it, but... Unless something's gone. Yeah. Um, I think of Isaiah 52, 7. The, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news and announces peace. Mm-hmm. And brings uh, good news of happiness and who announces salvation. Yes. Um, I think Paul has Isaiah on the brain right now. Yeah. I think um, Romans quotes that as well in Romans ten fifteen. Um, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, right? Um, 
We're talking soldier. We're talking someone who's going out to battle. How effective would a soldier be barefoot? Not, not very. Um, they are putting on their feet um, more than sandals. In fact, they, they would put things on with, um, with more firm leather or more padding, and specifically Roman soldiers would have things on the bottom for grips. Right, so that they could, um, they could be more adept and ready in battle. <clears throat> and so the idea of we we are not prepped for spiritual battle if if we are not firmly established and and ready to share this this gospel of peace. Um, yes, Leah. I think about how Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." This yes. active idea. There's no hiding from confrontation and things like that. There's this active seeking and sharing of peace that we have to be ready and go out and do. Like it's like that concept, like she said, you're getting ready, you're going out, that like you're you're purpose purposing peace and yes. you're heading that way. Yes, and let's focus on that word peace for a moment. I, I think it's significant that it's not just Preparation for for the gospel, but he makes sure that we understand that the gospel is a message of peace. So we are not called to go out and aggressively shove the gospel down people's throats, but we are to explain to them how true peace can only come with an understanding and an acceptance of the gospel. Now, uh, we understand that in order to do that, we will have to, speaking the truth in love, let people understand that without God, they will have conflict. They will have uh, they will have punishment, and God is offering them peace. But putting on our shoes at the very beginning, before we even go out, understanding I'm I'm trying to bring peace to these people. These people are suffering. They are experiencing hardship because of sin, and the gospel is good news. Um, that's what the word means. And we are offering them good news that will bring them peace. Maybe it'll alter our approach when we encounter people. Yeah, Bob. And, and sometimes it's easy to just read over that. And, and the peace that that is being talked about there is the peace that many people don't understand that they need because that peace is between them and God. Yes. Not between them and us or them and anything, anybody else. It's between them and God because they're separated by their sins. So there's this adverse uh, relationship until the gospel enters the life. Yeah. And you think about what the angels proclaimed when Christ was born. It was peace on earth. And if that was Christ is born and so now, therefore, all humans will get along. Christ did a miserable job at that. That wasn't the objective. That wasn't the mission. The mission was to bring, finally, peace between God and those on earth. And that's that's what the gospel does for us. Um, Justin explained it this way in the video, that if we are called to walk worthy of the calling, putting on our feet something that will give us traction for the walk is this preparation for the gospel uh, of peace, allowing us to make the necessary forward movement, which you can't do barefoot. Did I see any other hands? Yes. Um, we're supposed to, well, you're saying we're supposed to 
preach peace, but also I think the gospel brings peace to us so that we can withstand things like the peace that surpasses all understanding. So um, the fact that it says it'll give us that readiness, the gospel of peace is going to give us that readiness so we're able to stand against that because we have this, faith, this peace with God and peace of what yeah. we're about to do and through it all instead of being like all stressed out when we're about to do it. Right, right. Um, reading that and, and thinking of, of someone who is, is prepared, ready um, to, to share that gospel of peace. I, I spent time in Roswell, Georgia when I was back in school, and David Tant, I believe he's still there preaching, uh, but David Tant was one of the, the preachers and one of the elders there, and this man knew no strangers and would would hardly ever sit down at a restaurant without... By the time the check came, having invited that waiter or waitress to worship, he he just incorporated that into almost every conversation that he had, and and he was so comfortable doing it. And I asked him, I was like, "How are you so comfortable?" And he said, "Because I've been doing it for fifty years, and the first five years it was really awkward, and it, it's made me feel really hard. It was very difficult for me to do, but I just kept on doing it. And now it's just second nature to him. He is ready." To share that that gospel of peace, which I very much appreciate. Let's keep trucking on through, but Luke, you'll have the last uh, word. Jill said that she thought Paul had Isaiah. I think she's completely right. Because in Isaiah 59, verse 17, the seven chapters after the verse that she mentioned, refers to God wearing armor. His desire for justice or righteousness is like body armor. Desire to deliver is like a helmet on his head, and it just keeps going. So he's he's clearly Mm -hmm. an echo of that. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, Paul knew his Old Testament scriptures very well. And so the fact that he's pulling pulling back, um, he also had the help of the Holy Spirit, so it, it makes perfect sense. The shield of faith in verse 16, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's important that he says this... This is to be done in all circumstances. Do not go out to battle without this. Um, we're told in, in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we're told in verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How can you go out to battle and try to bring the gospel of peace if you don't have a firm belief and active working faith that God is actually who he says he is and will reward you according to his promises? What kind of fiery darts might Satan throw at us? And this is a very open-ended question. What might Satan, because we talked about this briefly, was it you, Leanne, last time about the fire burning and lasting? It's more than just a single injury. It's something that if left unchecked, it will consume us. What are the kind of fiery darts that Satan has used in your life? Well, you kind of already mentioned it before, the whole doubt, are you good enough? Can can you really do this? You are not good enough, and that the guilt and everything that's associated with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, has the voice inside your head asked questions like, am I really saved? Questionable assurance instead of... Questionable assurance. Right, questionable assurance instead of blessed assurance, right? 
Is God really real? I'm experiencing such difficult things right now, and I'm not seeing God work the way that I think He ought to be working. So, so is He really there? Does He even listen? I think Satan uses fear as a fiery dart. And that just didn't originate in 2020, but we certainly saw it on active display. I think we still do. Anger. He uses anger. Right. Anger towards others, and and then we're helping Satan throw the darts, aren't we? Trying to injure other people. I also say uncertainty, because we... uh... We like to think we can. We're comfortable with uh, circumstances when we can see the future clearly. And like you said, the past year and a half, what is that? Right. So ah, that that new normal, I think right? Given a little bit of training in, yeah. in uncertainty, I think Jesse Bacon talked about that one night. Yeah. Look, these are things that Satan uses, and we could we could spend the rest of the class. Right, um, Satan has quite the arsenal, and sometimes he finds one that is effective to throw at us constantly, and sometimes he finds fiery darts that uh, only really work every once in a while. Right, but he knows what they are. Um, these are things that are meant to pierce through the armor or find that chink and then burn away at us. Right. These are things that are meant to, to, if left unchecked, do great damage. And so the idea of a shield to protect us from those, um, the imagery that we've seen of Roman shields were not these dinky little Viking circles, right? They were essentially full-bodied things that, if used well, you could hire, hide your whole body behind. And if used together, they could actually create shields over an entire um, group of soldiers. And so these are things that are meant to protect the soldier um, throughout the battle. Is there a hand? Okay. Lloyd's pointing and someone else is pointing. Who had a hand? Nobody. Okay. Here we go. Let's keep going. I was just going to bring up that Satan knows us and he knows our weak points, and that's what he uses against us. And it's up to us to stand in the to know how to defend you from it. Yes. And again, that's a terrifying thought. That's very troublesome. But we're also told that God knows us. He knows us so well, he's counted the hairs on our head. And he does not permit... Remember, he gives permission to to Satan. He does not permit us to be tempted beyond what we are able. And so fiery darts will be thrown at us, but we can know with confidence that God will not allow those those darts to be sent that we we are not able to defend against. Leanne? I I think this is one I really like to picture because if I think about having... So if I've got my faith up, you know, it's ready, then... Satan shoots one of these darts that we've talked about at me, and it's not just going to like bounce off; it's going to be extinguished. Like I like to see it be like, you know, right, it's right, completely not going to hurt me. And all that I need is faith. Right. Which means we need to be, you know, when we understand what is is meant by that word, it's not just this mental acknowledgement. I need to every day mentally acknowledge that God exists, but faith is this living, active. 
demonstrated thing. James makes that very clear. And so, if I am if I am believing it enough that it's part of my life, and I'm I'm acting and making decisions based on that belief, Satan is not going to be able to touch us, right? So one of the attacks is that um, people who don't have the faith, and I think one of their most famous questions is, why does God let this happen? Yes. Habakkuk, right? Uh, we talked about that, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, how allowing a uh, more wicked nation to judge a less wicked nation, and he's disagreeing with God doing this and essentially saying, you know, have faith in this because I, I have a remnant for this, and uh, it, it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. I, I'm doing this to fulfill my will, and so it, when I look at the the shield of faith, it also reminds me of submission. Yes. Yeah. I have faith, or I ought to have faith, that God is going to ask things of me, or demand things of me, that I don't understand. Right? And I don't know if I'm the only one, but there have been days where I've contemplated God's command to be dunked underwater to remove sins from me, and it doesn't make sense to me. But I trust that God knows that that is, is, is part of his plan. It's part of this visual, this illustration that we're supposed to understand of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if he says to do it, I, I don't have to have a perfect understanding of that. Right. I just need to trust the person who's told me, right? And we do that as parents. We give instruction to our kids, and we should, when we can, help them understand why we're giving the instruction. But there are some times where we tell them to do or not do something, and they just need to trust us that we have their good in mind. And so we need to do we need to do the same with God. So the helmet of salvation, it says in verse 17... And he, he kind of combines these two together, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, uh, which is the Word of God. We're told in Acts 4 and verse 12 that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Spiritual warfare is in many ways a battle of the mind. And so we are protecting our mind and our head with the the knowledge of our salvation, right? Because Satan is going to try to play head games with us and get us to think in ways that are not in accordance to God and the truths that he's revealed. And we can protect ourselves from blows to our minds by assuring ourselves and having confidence in the salvation that we've been offered. And, and Paul has talked about that in Ephesians, how Satan is very effective at distorting our thinking, clouding our minds, letting us be ignorant, right? And darkening our understanding. Um, we protect our minds and, and our heads with the knowledge of salvation. Um, any thoughts or questions about that before we move on to the sword of the Spirit? Okay. So the sword of the Spirit, and and here he makes it very clear, and I'm glad he does, because without it, I'm not sure I would have known, but the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
What ways has the Word of God been described in Scripture? What are we supposed to understand about this being a weapon? To be rightly divided. Okay. And a sword does split things. You're talking about a a physical warfare, but the spiritual warfare we're talking about. Yeah. And the truth that um, he came to set father against son, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And what makes you think about that is truth. Okay? So if we have confirmation bias, I think we were talking about this before, to be corrected is is a good thing. Um, And the only way that that can actually happen is to have a a truth that's outside of you, you know, being given, like an instruction. Right. And um, I see the sword being used in the garden that swings, you know, and... 360 degrees of protecting the tree of life. Hmm. Um, I'll stop. No, it's okay. So so right at the beginning, you mentioned you know the passage, rightly dividing, right? What's another way of saying that or another translation of that? I can't think of it. Handling accurately, right? So I think of a sword. Swords are not things that should be wielded by those who have no training, right? You don't want to just take that thing and start swinging it around and go, yeah, I mean, I got this. In the right hands, swords can be very effective. In the wrong hands, they can be incredibly destructive, even to the one holding the sword, right? And so the word of God is not something that should just be whipped out without any training or knowledge or study and think that it can be then effective in, in, in warding off Satan. Um, it requires proper training and, and study. So it, it means more than just whipping out our Bible apps, quickly searching for a few keywords and cross-references and going, I've got this thing figured out. Let me, let me hit you with the word. No, we, we've got to take time and invest ourselves in it and, and, uh, and train ourselves in the proper use. And I was just thinking that how a sword can be used, um, like you said, destructively. And even in the sense of you know speaking the truth in love and gentleness, you don't necessarily think of a sword as being a gentle tool but there's a difference between, you know, the way that a master swordsman would do something and somebody hacking their enemy to pieces mm-hmm. in a vicious way, <coughs> pretending that, oh, I have the sword of the spirit and this is the word of God and it's really the truth that this is true. Well, okay, yes, but you didn't have to do it that way. There are better ways. Right. And then surgeons and knives and things just kind of throw that out there. It's another way to use the sword. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you think about it. Hebrews 4 describes the word as being something that is powerful. It is, it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the... Div- uh, I don't know who copied and pasted this verse, but that's not right at all. Uh, piercing even... Um, the soul and the spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, you can use this tool and and get right at the heart uh, of, of what is plaguing a person, including yourself. Um, it is not a tool to hack your enemies to pieces. Uh, Bible beating is not 
anything we should ever be accused of, right? We don't approach people and smack them over the head with this. Um, we are to to properly handle that. So we, wow, don't have nearly as much time as I thought we would, which is fine. That's great. Uh, so what, what, what application and comfort can we take? You notice at the end of this section, in verse 18, he, he's described all these pieces of the, of the armor. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So it's more than just putting the armor on and walking outside, but you are on alert. You are on patrol. You are looking this way and that, and you're anticipating conflict from Satan. Um, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then in 19 and 20, he asks for prayer requests. Right. So we've seen him pray for the readers earlier in Ephesians. Now he's asking for himself. He asks that words may be given to him in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Um, before we get to that question, David. Yeah, and so he points out you use this armor and you do that with prayer. That prayer needs to be an important part of using this armor, using the sword of the spirit. Yes, absolutely. And I... This is a dangerous thing. It just popped in my mind. We'll see if it actually fits and works. Uh, we've been studying the, the, the first kings of Israel uh, at a study in our home the last few weeks. And one of the attributes that set David apart from King Saul is oftentimes before David entered a battle, what did he do? He asked God for direction and guidance and instruction. Right? I, I believe that that's what's what's being implying applied here, right? Before you go out to battle, you you consult God, you pray to Him with with all supplication, right? Um, and you do that at all times in the Spirit. And so again, having the right mindset that this is war, and I'm not going to go out without instructions from my commander, um, because that is um, certainly um, to lead to defeat. So what application and comfort can we take from Paul's prayer requ- request in this section? Yes. To be healthy, he doesn't ask to be wealthy. He asks for boldness to speak the word of God. And so that's the battle he's preparing for. That's yes. the battle we're preparing for. And if we're preparing for other battles, we probably should think twice about them because they probably aren't the one God wants us preparing for. Right. Uh, because in other uh, of Paul's letters, he acknowledges and, and realizes that he's actually doing great good for the gospel by trying to convert those who are holding him, right? The Roman soldiers who have him, that it's now uh, being made known to, to the, those in the guard. So he's simply asking, uh, pray for boldness that I can keep doing this hard thing uh, and approaching these people with, with the truth of the gospel. He's asking for help. And how to use the sword of the spirit? Right. Even Paul yeah. is is wanting uh, encouragement and help so that he could could use it in the right way. I think it also indicates to us and and should give us comfort that we are not alone in this fight. We are not soldiers who put on army, put on armor, and go out and single handedly um, engage with the enemy. That we have others 
um, who are fighting alongside of us. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so Paul recognized that and and asked for prayers and encouragement um, from those around him. And then in 21 through 24, he exemplifies this idea that even in prison, he's concerned for the welfare and, and the mindset of, of those that are receiving this letter. And so, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Because he knows that they're likely very concerned for him and worried for him. They couldn't check up on social media and see whether he had posted recently. Um, they would go months without hearing anything. And did that mean that he had been executed? Did that mean that he had been moved, um, injured, so that he could no longer, you know, write? Someone's going to come and set their minds at ease. He's going to let his fellow soldiers know and draw encouragement from the fact that he is well. And so he sent him for that purpose. And then he asks um, God uh, that peace be upon um, his brothers and sisters. I want to end um, with a, a small clip from this last video of a Bible study without borders. And then if we have any time, we can, we can do a couple more questions. Part of this picture. And let me actually send the audio to the television. Part of this picture, yeah. as we put on the armor of the Lord, you mentioned earlier there's an army. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm walking with Christ, I'm walking in Christ, I have this identity. We saw it before with this one new man in place of the two. Mm-hmm. There are other soldiers beside me, and we're all making petitions for one another as we're going into this fight. And so yeah. prayer is kind of part of the battle plan. Well, it is, and I think this might just be another way of, of saying what you just said. When he says to that end in verse 18, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints... There's this reminder that I'm not in this daily battle alone. Right. I'm not facing the same enemies alone. I'm not facing the same fiery darts alone. I'm not alone out there. I'm a part of this big army, this big family that belongs to God. And they want to see me succeed in faith as well. And so I need to be aware of others and praying for them. I want to seek their prayers and encouragement. And then Paul gets very specific and says, I want you all to pray for me so that I will know how to boldly continue to proclaim this gospel. I want to keep being the kind of representative of Christ while I'm in prison. Um, That helps me to keep my eyes up. Yeah. Instead of focus just on my little temptations, my little trials. It's easy to get tunnel vision. As, As overwhelming as they seem to me, it is easy to focus on that and then forget there are other people. And what that does is it also reduces my praise to God. It reduces my thanksgiving to God. And I forget what all this is really about the call that God gets the glory it's not just about me and my grind this is about the kingdom and we're in this battle together and so uh, what I want us to remember and what Paul wanted his listeners to remember was that we are not alone in this even Paul did not feel alone he still felt connected with his with his fellow soldiers. 
And it's a call to us that even in difficult circumstances, and I don't know what what all of us are going through, but I would I would tend to bet that we're going through difficult things. Um, even in the midst of that, the temptation is for us to to focus on ourselves and our hurt and our struggle to the detriment of those around us. Because if, as a group, we are all singularly focused on ourselves, we are losing the benefit of being in a group. right? And so we lean on each other, and we draw strength and encouragement from each other. Um, We share it with each other when we're hurting. And we see that in Paul. He was in prison. He did not have the freedom and the liberty that he wished that he had. But even in that, he's finishing his letter wanting to make sure that his his brothers on the outside, his sisters on the outside were doing well and were being strengthened. Um, and finally, there at the, the very end, verse 24, he says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. The ESV says, with love incorruptible. And that just kind of caught my attention because it reminds me that earlier in in this letter, in chapter 3, it talks about that the lives that we used to live without Christ, our minds had been corrupted, right? It was this thing that would slowly destroy itself. Christ's love is something that will never rust or fade away or, um, or be destroyed. Any additional questions or comments over the book as a whole uh, before I pass it off to David for Sunday and we, we jump into an introduction of the book of Philippians? Someone's got to have one question that's going to take us at least 60 seconds. <laughs> Sarah, you're on the clock. All right. So in thinking about not being alone and being part of an army one of the reasons why Romans and Greeks and some of those armies were so successful in <coughs> battle is because they worked as a unit. And when one person faltered <coughs> and created that gap, I mean, it could be a devastating um, defeat. You know, they had victory and somebody pulls back, somebody stumbles, and suddenly there is a spot that everybody all the enemy can come straight toward. Yeah. And so it's not only that we should think, oh, there are others beside me, but I am beside others, and they need to be able to depend on me. Yeah. And it's not so much to be putting pressure on yourself. Oh, I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. And no, you just got to do what you're doing and not, not give up. Yeah. There are strength in numbers, and your brothers and sisters need you. They need your service and your work and your fight um, so that we can um, we can go about this together. Unity is a theme that runs throughout this book. And we see the, the lengths that God and Christ were willing to go to to put us together. When that seemed like an impossible feat, we need to then act as one and work as one and, and fight as one. Um, 
if if you're interested, we don't have time for it tonight. But there there was another portion of our time spent in the city of Ephesus in our video from Trial and Triumph that uh, didn't necessarily speak to uh, what we studied here, but helps give a, a kind of broader look at the city as a whole and some of the challenges that they were going through. So you can find that on YouTube. Um, just look up Ephesians, um, Happy and Media. Philippians is intro on Sunday, and David will do that. And I'm just going to keep rambling until the bell rings. Or Raymond will save me. Thank you. Uh, one of these fiery darts they used to throw at believers was you use your faith as a crutch. And if you look at the shield, you're hiding in your faith, and how providential I was actually telling the truth with that, but I was not wielding it in an honorable manner, that the shield, you stand behind, and in, in, in a way it is a crutch. We need it. And I was being derogatory about it. Right. And now I see that, uh, no, that's its purpose, you're, you're, you're shielded. Yeah, I, I used to draw cartoons as I listened to sermons to help illustrate the points. And I distinctly remember drawing a cartoon with a man with several arrows sticking through him, basically condemning a Christian in the same way. Yeah. Like, oh, you're leaning on that shield. How how despicable. Uh, well, yeah. I'd rather have the shield. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of to hide behind someone stronger and better and more powerful than us. Right. Um, I'll, I'll glory in that. That's kind of middle ground that you can meet someone with. That it's this isn't something that I'm going to give you. This is not something that yeah. I'll share with you. This is something that's given that uniformity thing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you all, and uh, we'll see you on Sunday, Lord willing. Yeah,